0: Thank you Deborah, beautifully read. Now many years ago Bex and I, uh, as you may or may not know, we lived in New Zealand. We were hosting some American church leaders and there was one called Lance who was a sort of great guard. That, that car alarm is quite annoying, isn't it? Should we just acknowledge the car alarm? Okay, so that's really annoying. In the name of Jesus, Stop. No, I don't have the power of prayer. So there you go. So let's ignore I'm going to keep going, okay? So basically, um, we're hosting these American church leaders. One's called Lance, and he's an interesting guy. And I just noticed all of, the, all of the team basically called him Blue. And it was, hey, Blue, or do you want a coffee, Blue, and all this sort of stuff. So that was a bit strange. So after a few days, I just said to one of them, why do you call Lance Blue? And they said, oh, he's deep blue. And I said, what do you mean he's deep blue? It's like I didn't know what that meant. He said, oh, he's got real depth. He's like the blue ocean. He's really deep. And if you get the chance, have a coffee with him or go for a walk with him. I tell you that story because I want to think about teaching tonight, as I've said. And uh, I want to say that at St. Saviour's, we want our teaching to be deep. And uh, we want each one of us to be deep um, people I don't know whether you've read Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He says this, The desperate need today is not for a great number of intelligent or gifted people. The desperate need today is for deep people. So I want to ask you as we begin, do you think you're a deep person or not? Uh, How deep are are you? Are you blue, so to speak? Are you deep blue? Some of you are looking worried. Some of you are laughing at this point. But, uh, you know, how deep are you? Are you like a, a puddle, a paddling pool, a river, or an ocean? Now, what I want to do tonight is think about teaching, and I want to remind us that I don't know what you think of when you think of teaching in church. I think often people think about Sunday sermons or teaching in Sunday services, but actually what's exciting about the church is that we all have a teaching role. And uh, actually, you know, uh, we could unpack this a little bit, but actually we're all meant to be able to explain our faith to other people, for example. We know that, don't we? That's uh, a teaching role. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give uh, the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness uh, and respect. Uh, it's also clear that we've all got gifts. We've got God-given gifts. And actually, when we exercise those gifts, we're called to um, teach. There's a a teaching element to that. If you're called to care for people, there'll be a teaching element to that. If you're uh, a leader or of some kind or other, there's a teaching element to that. And so what I want to just remind us as we begin is that actually teaching is not just confined to Sundays, but it's to all of our lives. We're to teach one another, to admonish uh, each other, the Apostle Paul uh, says. So... Um, how do we know if teaching is good or not, is what I want to explore this evening. How do we know if teaching is, is really uh, brilliant or deep? Seems to me, if we need to, uh, if we can only answer that question if we know what the aim of teaching is, uh, what the aim of uh, teaching in the church is. Now, it's important that we know what the aim of teaching is, I want to suggest. I used to work as a lawyer Uh, Many years ago, I used to train junior lawyers in... Uh, with a team of people uh, in some basic concepts. And we, ran, we used to run about 20 or 30 different seminars. Some were basic, uh, you know, how to set up a company. Some are a bit more difficult, how to sell a company. Some are really difficult, you know, some of the technical clauses around floating a company, that sort of thing. And I worked with a, a woman who is my boss, she was brilliant, and she said, look, Mike, each session, we've got to know what our learning outcomes are. We've got to be clear on what we're trying to do so that we can really go for it and then we'll be able to work out whether what we've been done what we've been doing is good or not so what I want to ask is what is the if you like the the, the aim of Christian teaching what are we trying to do and I want to suggest tonight that the goal of Christian teaching is to help people become worshippers of God that's what the goal of Christian teaching is. The, the goal of Christian teaching is to help people to become worshippers of God. This is actually a key theme in the Bible. Uh, Adam and Eve are invited to become worshippers of God, to walk with God, to do life with God, and spend time with him. You see that in Genesis 1. They turn away in Genesis 3. And since then, if you, if you, if you look at the story of the people of God, God has been trying to to uh, woo people back to himself so that they can worship him and actually find life as they worship him. Uh, why were God's people, for example, rescued out of Egypt? They were actually rescued uh, to worship God. What were the first three commandments about as they left Egypt? It's all about worshiping God. As they wandered through the desert, they had the tabernacle with them, the tent, the Holy of Holies in the middle of the tabernacle, in the center of the community. So worship was to be at the center uh, of their life. Why does God bring people to faith? actually to become a worshiper uh, of God. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of verses around this. 1 Peter 2, 9. Uh, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Declare the praises of him. This is why we come to faith. Why do we come to church? I don't know why you're here, but Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And we could go on. I don't know whether you like this prospect of being a worshiper or Christian teaching about being about learning how to worship. But actually, I want to uh, suggest, I I hope we like that because that's what we're going to be doing in eternity if you read Revelation 5. So what I want to just emphasize is that actually... What we're seeking to do uh, as we teach other people, uh, whether it's in a Sunday service or in our life group or uh, in an informal conversation or while we're exercising our gifts, what we're actually trying to do is help people become a worshipper of God. And last week, I sort of unpacked a bit what uh, being a worshipper was all about. It was about uh, giving God great gratitude, Uh, it was about coming to him in reverence and awe, it was about bringing sacrifices, and it was about serving him. So Christian teaching, therefore, is about helping people to become a worshiper uh, of God. That's the aim of it, I want to uh, suggest. And that's important because Christian teaching isn't an end in itself, it's a means to an end. Uh, It's about actually you and I being able to worship God more deeply and find life, therefore, and life uh, to the full. Now, it's here that we hit a problem, and I don't know your experience of school, I don't know your experience of university, I know it's been a stressful (coughs) week for many people with exams um, at school, uh, at university it's the exam season. I don't know uh, at work whether you have to um, attend seminars to keep your license or whatever it might be, your qualification up to date. Does anyone have to do that? So there's lots of you. Now, I don't know whether you've had this experience where you go to a training event and actually you discover that actually it wasn't that relevant to to your everyday life, your work. And one of the challenges, I think, as I think about my schooling, as I think about my university degree, as I think about some of the stuff I've done, both as a lawyer but also as a, a church leader, a lot of the training, actually, you can receive... Actually, a a significant proportion of it, I don't sound negative, it doesn't actually help very much. I've taken copious notes and then I've never gone back to them, or sometimes I go away thinking I just didn't really um, think that was very good. Has anyone had that experience? I want to suggest, therefore, that can play out in the church. And so what we need to do is actually be asking ourselves, as we're teaching other people, as we're listening to other people teach, is this helping me become a worshiper of God and actually... Good teaching does do that. Good teaching helps you uh, in inspirational ways, in conceptual ways, in practical ways, in expository ways, in uh, thematic ways, to actually become uh, a deeper worshiper uh, of God. This, therefore, begs the question, well, how then do we actually train people to become worshippers of God? You'll be relieved we've got to the woman uh, by the well in John 4. Um, I want to suggest this encounter between this woman and Jesus actually shows us some really, really important things about teaching and actually how we can become worshippers. Now, who's read this story before? That's pretty much more on this side than that side, but there you go. Um, most of us have read this story. Just for the benefit of anyone who hasn't read this story, I just want to give you a, a quick overview. Jesus is walking through a place called Samaria. It's actually uh, full of Samaritans, and there are very, very considerable uh, tensions between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. He arrives at a town called Sychar. He's tired and he's sitting down by a well. This is verse 4 and 5. A Samaritan woman turns up, and much to her surprise, he asks her for a drink. Verse 7 to 9. Then they start this really bizarre conversation. He offers her living water, which he says will actually quench her thirst more than the water she's drawing from the well. She says she's up for that, and then it gets really strange. He seems to ask her about her sex life in verses 16 and 17, and then they have this really bizarre conversation about worship. And uh, it goes, uh, ends with this comment. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship You Samaritans worship what you do not know. That sounds a bit offensive. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. That sounds a bit smug. And then he says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So that's what is said. And I want to suggest this uh, well-known conversation, this little chunk of scripture that you've probably heard a number of sermons on, actually shows us how to see the wood from the trees as we think about teaching and as we think about going deep in our teaching. And it contains key elements for us to think about as we're seeking to teach other people. Now the first thing that's obvious from these comments between Jesus and this woman is that if we are to teach people to become worshippers, then we have to be people who focus on the Bible. We have to be people who focus uh, on the Bible. And, um, you know, basically, Jesus says what people need is truth. So we need to be people who focus uh, on the Bible. And um, basically, Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, they're having this conversation. They're by a well, and there's a mountain over there. It's quite a high mountain. And Jesus uh, basically says to her, you know what, Uh, the way you Samaritans worship on that mountain up there is deficient. And you think, gosh, that's quite in your face. But that is what he says. And to understand this, uh, I just want to put this in a bit of context. And there's going to be a bit of detail here, but hopefully this will help you uh, understand what happened. Now, 800 years before this conversation took place, the Assyrians deported most of the inhabitants of the northern kingdom of Israel, and they resettled them in Samaria, along with some captives from uh, other nations, and they put them in this area of Samaria. And basically, the consequence of that was that there was a mix of people, some were worshipping the Jewish God Yahweh, but there was lots of worship of all sorts of other nations in this area focused on this mountain. 500 years before this conversation, the Samaritan religion actually was stopped in this area and purged Uh, and basically uh, what happened is that the Samaritans actually had a change of heart, and they decided to build a temple for the worship of God alone on this mountain. So that's a change. Not not all gods. The Samaritans said, actually, uh, we're just going to do Yahweh here on this mountain. 200 years, if you're still with me before this conversation, took place. Then Jews from the south went up to this mountain, And they burned the Samaritan Temple. And that was the chief, uh, they did that because that was the chief rival to the Jewish Temple in Jerusalem. And despite the fact that the Jewish people had trashed the Samaritan people on this mountain, it still, for the Samaritans, was seen as a sacred place. And what happened through all those events, all that history on this mountain, is that actually the Samaritans ended up, in response to this sort of event, actually losing lots of chunks of the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. And uh, they no longer saw the Old Testament as authoritative and they actually chopped off a lot of uh, the Old Testament scriptures in their worship. And so in other words, what they'd done is cut off a large chunk of truth and uh, 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 biblical authority, if you like. So Jesus is saying the thing is, you know, in respect of worship, you Samaritan woman, who I shouldn't really be speaking to and who we shouldn't really be having this conversation at all because you're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew, look, your, your people do continue to, to worship on that mountain despite all that history. But actually, they've lost truth. They're no longer worshiping in truth. And that's deficient. So what we take from that, therefore, is as we think about teaching, we have to be people who take the word of God really, really seriously, and have a very high view of uh, the Bible. Now, I want to therefore say, at St. Saviour's, we are a church, and we're going to continue to be a church that actually really goes go deep into the Word of God. And I want to say, that's actually a really challenging thing to do. Why is that challenging? It's challenging for all sorts of reasons. I want to suggest in the UK, it's culturally very challenging. Uh, to actually be uh, exploring the Bible and taking the Bible seriously. Uh, This flies in the face of the postmodern suspicion of authority. We believe, uh, though, that the Bible is the authority uh, of God himself. It flies in the face of postmodern skepticism around objective truth claims, but we believe the Bible is God's truth. And actually, um, it's very, very countercultural in the sense that most people in the country we live actually think the Bible is completely irrelevant and has nothing to say to modern life. So it's actually quite challenging uh, to do this, but we are going to do this. And therefore, I'm just saying, in our context, going deep into the word culturally in this country is quite a challenge. Do you agree with that or not? It is quite challenging, isn't it? Also, forget our context. Within the context of the church, teaching the Bible well is very practically challenging. Why is it challenging? Well, because in our services, we have a mixture of people. And so uh, in terms of Sunday teaching, you know, there are people here I know who aren't even Christians this evening, and there are people who are Christians. Well, that that makes teaching the Bible quite challenging in a deep way because you've got different different levels. And, and, and the church, actually different churches have a different approach to how to solve that issue. But there's also different levels, not just in the sense of belief, a Christian and someone who isn't yet a Christian, but there's different levels in terms of people's maturity and actually what they need in terms of biblical teaching. And uh, the New Testament itself seems to acknowledge this. If you look at 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews 5, there's this sense, isn't there, that new believers in Jesus Christ actually need uh, milk. They need milk. They need some basic guidance on some basic principles about who God is and um, what he's done. And they need to get that before they move on. Also, Paul seems to suggest actually more mature people need meat. You you actually need more solid food, he calls it. And so it's a bit like weaning a baby. You don't give a little baby bits of steak, do you? You give them a bottle of milk. They grow, they grow. Then you give them a little bit of vegetables. I remember having ice cubes of different vegetables in our freezer that we used to thaw and give to our children. And then they can actually, when they've got that, you can go a bit deeper. Then you might throw in a, a little bit of, tiny little bit of bacon or chicken, and then eventually now, you know, it's like they're eating steaks, do you know what I mean? And this is one of the challenges of Bible teaching, uh, especially on a Sunday. Not just the Christian, non-Christian, but also we're at different levels. We need different things. So the other challenge uh, as well with teaching uh, on a Sunday is that actually we have limited time. I'm going to spend a bit of time tonight looking at this, but actually often we're quite confined in our time, isn't it? It's not just all of that going on, but maybe you've got 20 minutes to do something, which actually isn't very long, if you think about it, when you've actually then got to present things in a way that people can hear and not fall asleep and find vaguely interesting, not really, really boring. And, uh, you know, there's challenges around teaching well. But I do want to say, in light of Jesus' words the this Samaritan woman, we're actually going to go and continue to go for teaching here that's brilliant and deep. We're going to go for teaching that actually is focused and trains people to become worshippers. And uh, we're actually going to seek to always be taking the quality of our teaching more and more deep. And we'll be teaching in a range of different styles. Jesus, I don't know whether you've spotted it, taught in different styles. He had propositional teaching Think of the Beatitudes, think of the Sermon on the Mount. He also was a storyteller. He taught through stories, think of the parables. And also, interestingly, he did a lot of his teaching by sending people out on mission. So actually, teaching is a, is a whole reflection of a number of things if we're to actually train people to be worshipers. But that's what we're seeking to do. We're gonna be people uh, of the word of God. Second, Jesus says, you know, to this woman effectively in this conversation, if you want to uh, become a worshipper or train people to become a worshipper, you have to teach them about the Holy Spirit. And you see, what's interesting is he also says it's not just the Samaritan worship is deficient because they've thrown out the Word of God or locked off large chunks of the Word of God. He says actually the Jewish worship of today, his day, is deficient Because the Jews in Jerusalem have lost the spirit. He says his father would not want to be uh, therefore worshipped not just on Mount Gerizim but also in the temple in Jerusalem. A time is coming when that's going to change. And um, actually this is very, very sobering for us as we think about teaching in the church because it just reminds us that actually it's possible to know the Bible really, really well Uh, to go really, really deep into the Bible and actually not know God at all. And this is what the teachers of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, were doing. They were experts in the law. They were the teachers of the day. But this is uh, Jesus' summary of the quality or effectiveness of their teaching. He says this in John 5, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me who uh, to have life. So in other words, what you need to do is, uh, if you want to become a worshipper, we also have to be people who know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we have to watch the God we are worshipping isn't Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, but actually Father, Son, uh, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying effectively, you know, a time is going to come when what God wants, the Father wants, is people who worship uh, in spirit and in truth. And everything's changing. This whole worship deal is changing. And we know what happens. Jesus, before he leaves, uh, later on in John's gospel, uh, he basically says to his disciples, I'm going, they're gutted. He said, don't worry, I'm sending you another person, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. He'll strengthen you. He'll encourage you. He'll comfort you. He will actually remind everything that I've said, uh, he'll bring back to you. He's reliable. He is uh, the spirit of truth. So he dies. He rises again. Before he's taken up to heaven, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out on all people. And guess where the temple is now, according to Jesus? We are temples of the living God. The Spirit of God actually lives inside us, God himself inside us. And actually, if we're to live the Christian life and become worshippers, we need to be people who are familiar, very, very, um, comfortable with the things of the Holy Spirit. We need to, be, we need to know um, how to walk by the Spirit. We need to know how to hear what the Spirit's saying according to Paul. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. According to Paul, we're all given gifts of the Holy Spirit. According to Paul, when we do this, we display fruits of the Spirit. And so we need to be people who actually know about the Spirit. So this is quite an extraordinary conversation these two are having it's a paradigm shift for the world uh, these two people are having uh, and about how people access God um, at this point Uh, on their own there's no one else there's no one taking notes Uh, it's just these two it's an extraordinary uh, conversation so we need to be uh, people who hold the word of God together with the spirit uh, of God Jesus himself models this. The apostle Paul models it. And worshippers of God model it too. Uh, Authentic worshippers of God model it too. So I want to ask you, uh, how deep are you going uh, into the word? And how deep are you going uh, into the things of the spirit? It's very, very important to ask yourself that question from time to time. And uh, actually what happens as Christians is we often lose our focus or we lose our depth. And uh, the Bible acknowledges this. We often lose um, uh, the depth about um, the Bible and uh, what it is uh, we're seeking to do as we look at the Bible. Uh, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 5, says this. This is warning against falling away. He says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness, bloody, bloody blah. blah, blah, blah. So there's a sense that as a Christian, I don't know, we can lose our depth in the Word. Also, uh, the New Testament acknowledges we can lose our depth uh, with the things of the Spirit. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinth 3, 1-3. to Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still too worldly. So, do you see the significance and importance of this conversation for you and I uh, as we seek to follow God and become worshippers? The basic problem I want to suggest is we in the church love snorkeling. What do I mean by that? Uh, Who here likes snorkeling? I love snorkeling. I did some snorkeling uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know what it's like. You get the snorkel on, and you spit in the thing, and it stops it, it, stops it from steaming up, and then uh, you just snorkel. I love snorkeling. There's nothing wrong with snorkeling. But from a spiritual point of view, snorkeling is really, really dangerous because when we snorkel, where are we? On the surface. We don't go deep, do we? We just float on the surface. We don't go deep into anything. And actually, we live in a phenomenally superficial culture. I don't know whether you've noticed it. Just flip through your Sunday papers again and ask yourself, where's the depth? Where's the really substantial stuff here? Well, what is really, really significant in this newspaper? And about 10% of it is often, but most of it's just complete guff. You know, it's complete rubbish, if you think about it. It's actually quite fun to read, but it's rubbish. It's it's just guff. So, these things are important. So, I want to end by asking two questions. The first is this. How can we go deep into the Word? And uh I want to just say as the leader of St. Saviour's I'm going to do all I can to ensure that we go deep into the word of God and uh I would do all I can to help any of you go deep into the word of God but also I want to uh, encourage you to take responsibility as I know you do for uh your own journey into the Bible and going deep Uh, in the word of God and I want to encourage you at this time in your life just to ask yourself actually where am I with the word of God Um, uh, have I stopped reading it Um, uh, uh, do I need to do uh, anything else if I'm going to go deep do you feel for example you need milk right now or meat are you going for milkshakes rather than meat You know, where are you in terms of uh, your engagement with the Bible? Here's some practical tips. I was thinking about this. I would encourage you, obviously, to read the Bible regularly. Um, Why not take your favorite book in the Bible and um, uh, just read it? Uh, again, Why not buy a commentary? I can give you some recommendations on good commentaries. If you don't know what a commentary is, it's a book that explains a book in a Bible. Um, why not get a commentary and start reading with a bit more depth into your favorite book uh, of the Bible? And, you know, the reality of it is we're spoiled. We are spoilt in this time uh, because there are so many resources more readily accessible and available to us as the church, than ever before. You can get brilliant Bible teaching podcasts. You can get brilliant Bible reading apps. There's that one, uh, The Bible in One Year, HDB have put together. It's very, very good. You know, you have it on your phone. You can be walking the dog, studying the Bible. You can be lying in the bath, studying the Bible. You can be listening, um, you know, when you're just out and about, on your way to work, commuting, whatever it is, getting the, 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 the best biblical input in the world. You can pause it. You can do whatever you want with it. It's just extraordinary. So can I encourage you uh, to go um, deep into the Word of God? I've been thinking about this. I've studied the Bible at different times, and uh, I've always loved the Bible, but I was thinking, you know, recently a lot of my engagement with the Bible is to do with preparing sermons if I'm honest. And I was thinking, actually, you know, I really love John's gospel. I love Mark's gospel, and I love 1 and 2 Corinthians. I'm actually going to get some commentaries, and uh, I'm going to go back into so, some depth into the Word of God, because true worshipers of the Father worship Him uh, in truth. And that's really, really important. And the Bible is full of life and uh, extraordinary things. So... Secondly, I'm ending with this, this question. How do you, how do I go deep into the things of the Spirit? Again, as the leader of the church, please hear me. I'm going to be doing all I can to ensure as a community we are very, very familiar with the things of the Holy Spirit. I, I would be not doing my job properly if I didn't do that. I'd be like a surgeon going into an operation without uh, washing my hands or without, uh, you know, pre- basic things, or a policeman um, walking around uh, not arresting people, I don't know, that's a bad analogy, I'm trying to, uh, that was a spontaneous thing that fell flat. But basically, uh, you know, can I encourage you too to be people who take uh, your journey into the things of the Spirit? Can you take responsibility for that and actually run hard into the things uh, of the Spirit? Now, I don't know, um, again, some practical suggestions for you. Um, You know, there's all sorts of things you need to do if you're going to be a person of the Spirit. But one thing, if you have to understand who he is. So again, uh, you could actually just look up all the references in your Bible to the Spirit. Why not do that in John's Gospel? You'll learn about the Spirit through the Word. This is the irony. They're not just entirely separate categories. You know, can I encourage you maybe to buy a good book on the Holy Spirit. You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy called Simon Ponsonby. And uh, he's got some great books on the Spirit. One is called God Inside Out. The other is called More. And there's some great uh, teaching uh, on the things of the Spirit and how you grow in the things uh, of the Spirit. And um, why not reflect on the fruits of the Spirit? Peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, I'm running out of memory, self-control. Why not think about those things? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you moving in the gifts of the Spirit? Why not practice prophesying? Why not when you're sitting uh, in your life group or with someone you're having a coffee with, just ask God to start showing uh, you about this person and what they need and what to say. Start just going deeper into uh, the things of the Spirit. You know, I've been doing this thing. I nearly became, believe it or not, a monk in my early 20s. I was feeling a call on my life, and I thought, actually, I'm contemplative at heart. I didn't know that I was at that time. But actually, I love stillness before God. I love silence before God. And so I'm pushing into the contemplative tradition at the moment. I've been doing it for the last decade. I'm just spending a lot of time silently before God in a fresh way for me just to try and go deeper into the things of God and the things of the Spirit. But I would encourage you, I urge you to actually go and become deep in these things. Stop the snorkeling, take the masks off, overcome any um, fears or resistances to what you might find and just dive deep into the Word and the Spirit. So that's really what I wanted to say tonight, that actually as we think about teaching here, We need to hold these two things together. We need to be very, very clear on what is good teaching because there's a lot of teaching in the church that's very, very interesting. It's very, very fascinating. It's actually really great to listen to, but ultimately it's not good teaching because it's not helping us to become worshippers of God. And actually, when we do hold these two things together, actually, that's when we see change, that's when we find life, and that's when our teaching we hear and also the teaching we give will bring life and transformation to other people. Amen.